going to talk tonight about the, the message of the mighty angel. Revelation chapter 10. I have read that there is an inscription on the dome of our capital in Washington, D.C., which few people know about. Uh, the inscription says, One far-off divine event toward which the whole creation moves. Let me read that again. Somewhere inscribed in the dome of our capital is this inscription, One far-off divine event toward which the whole creation moves. No one seems to be able to say with certainty what that inscription is referring to, but many believe that it is a reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ. If that's true, then it is an awesome and needed reminder for our country and for our leaders that there is one divine event towards which all of creation is moving. Now, my only hesitancy with that inscription is that it uses the word far off. I personally am under the, the feeling that it may not be that far off for us. Of course, when it was placed in the dome, maybe it was far off for them. One thing is for sure, though. Although God has been delaying His judgment so that lost sinners can have time to repent, would you agree that there is coming a day Maybe quickly, when God will judge this world. Would you agree? I'm about to take off preaching here. I'm going to get off my notes for a minute. Would you agree our world deserves God's judgment? Absolutely. There's coming a day when, though God is delaying judgment, there's coming a day when God will declare no more delay. In fact, before we dig into it, I just want you to read that with me in chapter 10, verse 6. We'll, we'll put this in context in a minute, but I just want you to see this verse. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, the sea and all that is in it, and said, there will be no more delay. You might want to mark that one. It's coming today when God will declare there will be no more delay. Now, right now, we are living in a time of delay. Right now, you and I, by God's graciousness, because of God's favor, because of God's blessings, we are living in a time of delay. So, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second uh, Timothy chapter three, and I'll show you what I mean. Second Timothy chapter three, verse three. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. That sounds pretty much like today, doesn't it? Verse 4, they will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Uh, 
But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the pure, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. In other words, in other words, there is a day that God is holding back simply by His Word. There is a day, just like God spoke and the waters existed, the God spoke and, and the waters were created, that the Word of God, the power that is even in the Word of God, would form the world. There is coming a day when the Word of God will declare judgment on the world, and that delay will no longer be there. And that's what Timothy now is writing about. And he says this, he's, verse 7, By the same Word... The present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. Verse 9. This is the verse I want you to hear. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. As some understand slowness, He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God has delayed His return, is what Peter is writing about. We're living in the days of grace. We're living in the days of delay. And thank God for that, so that many can come to faith in Christ. But Revelation 10 shows that there's coming a day on God's calendar when He will declare no more delay. Now, parents... Let me have your attention, parents, because you know exactly what this is like, don't you? Parents, have you said to, to your son or to your daughter, this is the last time I'm going to tell you? Have you ever said something like that? It's like, okay, I'm, I'm putting it off, I'm putting it off, but you're about to cross the line, and this is the last time I'm going to tell you. That's, in essence, what's happening here, where God has delayed His coming, God has, we're living in days of grace, but there is coming a time on God's calendar when He will declare no more delay. And when that day is announced, God's judgment on this world will be accelerated and bring to fruition the end of the world. So, going back to Revelation chapter 10, let me put this in context before we move further, especially for those of you who perhaps uh, were not here previously or you missed a time or two. Let me try to put, put this in context before we read the text. First of all, the, we, we read in chapters 6 and 8, and you might want to jot this down just in that side column there, kind of give you the context of, of this text. In, in chapters 6 and 8, there was the opening of the seven-sealed scroll. This begins the time of tribulation. Write that down there in that column. In chapters 6 and 8, there is the opening of the seven-sealed scroll, which begins this time of tribulation. And as each seal is removed, judgments are intensified. The opening of each seal brings a, a greater judgment. The judgments are intensified with each one. And then in chapters 8 and 9, there's the blowing of seven trumpets. These trumpet judgments will be more devastating and ruthless than the seven seals before them. As bad as the seven seal judgments are, the blowing of the seven trumpets or the trumpet judgments will be even more devastating, even more ruthless than the seven seals before them. So by the end of chapter 9, six of the seven judgments have been sounded. Chapter 10, write this down, 
chapter 10, verse 1, through chapter 11, verse 14, is basically a parenthetical pause. There's an interlude in the story. We will not read about the blowing of the seventh trumpet until chapter 11, verse 15. I'll say that again. We'll read about the blowing of the seventh trumpet in chapter 11, verse 15. So, what all of that means is this. If you were to put chapter 10 on a timeline, the things we're reading about in chapter 10 will occur in the middle of the seven-year tribulation. Say that one more time because I know you're trying to get the context of all this. If you were to put chapter 10 on the timeline, it will occur at the middle of the seven-year tribulation. Now, what's going to happen during this time? Notice on your notes and follow along. First of all, a, a mighty angel will announce that the end is near. First six verses, the mighty angel announces the end is near. And look at his appearance in, in Revelation chapter 10, verse 1. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. His appearance suggested here describes someone of great power, someone of, of radiant glory, someone of tremendous position. As you read chapter 1, who does that sound like in chapter 1? I, I'm sorry, verse 1 rather. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs were like fiery pillars. Who does that sound like to you? You have to speak up. I can't hear over all of this noise here. All right, thank you. And that is one of the possibilities that this may be a, a reference to Jesus. Uh, somehow, it definitely is connected to God, of course, because uh, God's often identified with the clouds. A rainbow was God's promise to mankind. Uh, it somewhat resembles the, the, the description of Christ found in Revelation 1. However, though there are many people who believe that this is a reference to Jesus, there are some very good reasons to believe that this may not be Jesus. Uh, one of the reasons is this, and put this on your notes there in the column, Christ does not appear in Revelation as an angel. There's no reference in, to, in the book of Revelation that he appears as an angel. In fact, Christ is not even referred to as an angel in the, in the New Testament. Now, all of the New Testament, there's no place in the New Testament where he's referred to as an angel. In chapter 10, verse 6, I think it's the telling text, though. It says that this angel swore by him who lives forever and ever. That this angel was swearing by someone other than himself. So if this is not Christ, who is it? Well, the, the text simply describes him as a mighty angel. So we'll take it at face value that this is indeed a mighty angel. And notice how mighty this angel is. He comes down from heaven. He's robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head, and his face is like the sun, and his legs are like fiery pillars. Notice his authority, beginning in verse 2. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand, and he planted his right foot on what, church? Planted his right foot on what? On the sea. And his left foot was planted on what? You know anybody else that can do that? Can you imagine and try to get it visually in your mind 
seeing, looking out on the horizon and seeing this angelic figure who is so large and so massive that he is clothed in the clouds, who is so large and so massive that a rainbow is his hat, who is so large and so massive he can put one foot on the ground and one foot on the sea. I would call that a mighty angel, wouldn't you? And that's what the text calls him. He demonstrates his authority by placing the right foot in the sea, on the sea and the left foot on the land. And the Bible says in Psalm 24, 1, that the earth is the Lord's. And this angel de- declaring that, basically, one foot on the sea, one foot on the land, basically declaring that in the entire cosmos, the entire world, is under the authority of God. Now, see if you agree with this. Satan has been acting like the earth belongs to him, hasn't he? He acts like the earth belongs to him. But there's coming a day when the mighty angel will, in essence, put his foot down. When he puts his foot down, he puts one foot on the sea and one foot on the land, he is about to declare who's really in charge. And he'll demonstrate God's power and God's authority over all the earth. Now, let's just read again verse uh, 3, starting verse 3. And he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. I've never been, I've been to Africa, but I've never been on like on the safari. Uh, But you've seen these movies, I'm sure, where they're, they're, they're sleeping at the campfire and in the distance there's this roar of the lion. Startling roar, scary roar of the lion. And, and the word picture in verse 3, there's a loud shout like the roar of a lion. In other words, it will get everyone's attention. And then he says this, When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, Seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not Write it down. This is the only thing in the book of Revelation that is not revealed. We don't know even what the seven thunders are, and we certainly don't know what they spoke. But John, as he hears it, he's about to record it. Because John is recording everything that the Lord shows him. And as he is recording this, John hears a voice that says, Do not write that down. Do not record that. I want you to listen listen to me. This is theory. That's all it is. This is theory. I'll say that again. This is theory. But many commentators believe that what was written down, the reason that, that, or what he wanted to write down, the reason that God said don't record it, many commentators believe that in essence, John was writing about some aspects of the judgment of the world that is so severe and so awful. That God said, don't even record that. They, if they knew about that, it would be more than they could stand. Don't record that. And then he makes his announcement. The angel I had seen standing on the sea and the land raised his right hand to heaven. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever which is, to me, an indication he's likely not Jesus 
but indeed an angel. He swore by him who lives forever and ever and who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it and the sea and all that is in it, and said, there will be no more delay. This angel is announcing that the time has come. The race is over. The curtain is down. The Lord's return is at hand. And the world has been living in a time of God's delay for centuries, but that delay has now ended. God has been delaying His judgment, and people have had a chance to repent. But now, God records in Revelation, in this text, God records for us the time and the place when His patience will run out. He records for us and lets us know that there's a time and a place when His grace grace will end. Now, I want you to go to Revelation chapter 6. I'm going to have you talk to me for a minute here. I've been doing a lot of talking. I want you to talk to me. Revelation chapter 6. I want you to read verses 10 and 11. Revelation 6, verse 10 and 11. And I want you to read and tell me what the martyred saints are saying in this text. What are they saying in that text? What are the martyred saints saying? Said, I can't hear. How long? How long what? How long, Lord, until your patience wears out? What else? How long till you judge till you judge what? Look at chapter six, verse. 10. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth, and, notice this, and avenge our blood? How long? I I can't fully describe to you but, but basically what this text is showing us is that from age to age, there have been those who have suffered martyrdom. And from age to age, they have cried out for God to avenge their blood. For God to bring justice. And when we come to Revelation chapter 10, God says, I just want you to know something. There is a day on my calendar. There is a day that I've circled. There is a day where I intend to say, enough is enough. There is a day when I'm planning to answer the question of the martyred saints. Those who keep asking, how long until you avenge our blood? How long until you, until you send justice and judgment? There is a day, God, say, God says, when I will say no more delay. And His vengeance for persecution and His vengeance against sin will be brought upon the earth. And nothing will be able to stop that day. The mighty angel announces the end is coming. But number two on your outline, one of God's secrets will one day be solved. Now, this is where you need to dig in with me. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his judgment, 
the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Now, let's, let's talk about this for a minute. Steve, could you go turn off this, this air so I can, I can hear folks, please? Let's talk about this for a minute. It says in verse 7, In the days when the seventh angel was about to sound his, his trumpet, this judgment is about to happen, the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Now, in the Bible, follow along closely, in the Bible, a, a mystery is a sacred secret that only God knows, a sacred secret that he chooses to reveal to his children. All right? So during the seventh trumpet judgment, one of God's great sacred secrets will be explained. Now, here's what I want you to do. Talk to somebody nearby. What do you think this mystery is? Now, if you're reading your notes, you've got an idea. Hint, hint. Talk to one another about, uh, at least you have two suggestions. There may be more than two suggestions. You may say, I think it's this one or that one. Or you may say, no, I think there's an additional possibility. But talk to one another for about 60 seconds and figure out what do you think this mystery is. Talk to one another right now. Now I feel like I can talk to you without yelling in a wind tunnel. All right, so let's talk for a little bit. In the Bible, again, a mystery is a sacred secret that only God knows that He chooses to reveal to His children. During this seventh trumpet judgment, it says that one of God's great secrets will be accomplished or will be explained or be brought to fruition. What do you think this mystery of God is? What are, yes, sir. Explain that, though. Salvation. What, what do you mean by salvation? Yes. The mystery of, of salvation. The mystery of how a holy God could love sinful human beings so much that He would send His Son to die for them. I mean, that, there's a mystery to that, isn't there? How does a holy God... Who, who is without sin, loves sinful people to the extent that he allows his son to be the sacrifice for their sin. There's a mystery there that the Bible declares, but, but there's a mystery that's hard for us to fully grasp. So maybe it's the mystery of salvation. Somebody else. What do you think the mystery of evil is? Say that a little louder. Yeah. Yeah. Why has God allowed Satan the opportunity to do so much damage? 
why does evil still exist in the world? Uh, I'm going to read a few things to you. Uh, One author said, Does it not seem strange that Satan has been allowed for 6,000 years to wrap and twist his coils around the world, to work evil and spoil and mar the work of God? Is it not a mystery why God, the, the God of righteousness and holiness, allows evil to go unpunished and his own people to be crushed and broken on every hand? Truly, this is the mystery of God. God bears with evil till the hour of judgment arrives, and when he will avenge the cry of his elect and come out of his place to punish the wicked, evil, now tolerated and allowed, will openly be punished. The mystery is at an end. Christ is about to reign. So there's the mystery of salvation. There's the mystery of of evil in the world, why God allows Satan to do what he does. Any other mysteries you could think of that perhaps this may refer to? The Trinity, yeah? You want to explain the the mystery of the Trinity? Somebody else? Creation, okay. I I was reading a book, a commentary by Paige Patterson. He's he's the president of my alma mater, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Brilliant man. Uh, He uses words I have to look up in the dictionary. Uh, But I'm going to read you a a paragraph out of the commentary about this. He says, Prophetic literature stretching back 750 years before Christ envisioned the coming of an awesome day of judgment. Let me read that again. Prophetic literature stretching back 750 years before Christ envisioned the coming of an awesome day of judgment. In other words, for 750 years, prophets have been declaring this coming day of judgment. God would judge sin. Let me continue to read. These passages of an ultimate day of the Lord were the warp and the woof of prophetic utterance. Nor were these prophecies merely foreseen an ominous day of judgment equally and perhaps even in greater profusion. Such prophets envisioned a a golden daybreak, a utopian era, God's earthly reign, which would ultimately reverse and restore all that iniquity had cost the race and the cosmos. What all the angels and the prophets had foretold, that which had been delayed over the centuries, giving rise to the prophets, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing, when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. No longer will these hidden things tease and intrigue the prophets. Now all that God has promised through the prophets and the apostles will not be delayed any longer, but will come to pass in rapid sequence following the sounding of the trumpet of the seventh angel. Basically what Dr. Patterson was saying is this, Regardless of whether this is the mystery of salvation or the mystery of evil or, or just the mystery of the judgment of the world. For 750 plus years, the, the prophets of the Old Testament prophesied this day that was coming, this day of judgment, this day of reckoning, this day when God would, would uh, finally say that He was going to judge evil. And when, whatever all of that means, there is a day indeed. When what the prophets had looked forward to, when what the prophets have talked about, will come to fruition. The time is coming when God is going to deal with all the questions and the problems of this world once and for all. Now, we close out this time as we go to the last few verses. I'm going to try to let you out just a few minutes early so we can have a chair-moving party. 
verse 8. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go take the scroll that lies in the open in the hand of the angel, or that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Up until this point in Revelation, John has been a spectator watching events unfold. Now, John becomes an actor in the drama of the apocalypse. John is to be more than a listener. Now, John is instructed to be a doer. He receives an unusual instruction that might sound a little off the wall to us, but it's not new to the Bible. What was the instruction that John was given? Now, take the scroll out of the hand of the angel and eat it. Jeremiah got that same instruction. He ate the Word of God. Ezekiel ate a scroll from God. Well, what does it mean to take it and eat it? Well, there's some debate about whether this means he literally ate it, he literally ingested it, or if it's some figurative language. Uh, I don't know that it's worth debating, but, but in my mind, I believe he probably actually did eat it. Uh, but when you eat something, you do more than look at it, don't you? Some of you are going out tonight after the chair-moving party. Some of you are going out tonight, and you're going to go somewhere, and you're going to eat something. And you're not just going to look at it. You're going to ingest it. You're not just going to talk about it. You're going to ingest it, and it's going to become part of you. And I think the angel was saying, John, you're to saturate yourself with God's Word to such a way that it becomes part of you. You take it and you eat it, and when you do, it was going to taste sweet at first, and then it's going to taste sour. Instruction to eat this little scroll came with a warning. I want you to notice this as we finish up here in a moment. So look what he says, take it and eat it, and and it will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. John was warned that the word would be sweet to the taste, sour to the belly. I want to tell you something about God's Word. Listen to me carefully. God's Word is always that two-edged type sword, isn't it? There's just the sweetness that comes from the Word of God. The Lord is gracious and He's good. And the Lord is going to come back one day. There is the sweetness of that truth but there is the bitterness that judgment will fall on those who aren't not ready. The same gospel that makes it possible for you to go to heaven guarantees damnation for those who reject it. There is the sweetness of heaven and the sourness of the damnation of those who reject the gospel. In many ways, you could say that preaching the Word of God is a bittersweet experience. 
I stand and I recognize Sunday after Sunday that when I preach God's word, when I preach the truth, there is the sweet experience of if you will accept this and, and respond to this, uh, it's going to be uh, beneficial to your life. But if you reject it, there is sometimes an awful consequence to rejecting it. I'm going to close by reading something from Charles Boggs. Listen to what he said. It's, it's two paragraphs, so, so just listen patiently, if you would, please. He said, God recommissioned John. He recommissioned him to tell the whole truth. There is bitterness of sin or the sweetness of forgiveness. There is the bitterness of death or the sweetness of eternal life. There is the bitterness of righteous judgment or the sweetness of gracious salvation. There is the bitterness of eternal damnation in hell or the sweetness of eternal redemption in heaven. There is the bitterness of total devastation or the sweetness of a new creation. John comprehended both sides of God's word. The angel with the little book had provided a pause for John to be recommissioned and reflect upon the urgency of his work. Listen, that's a good sentence. The angel with the little book had provided a pause for John to be recommissioned and reflect upon the urgency of his work. He was to tell the whole story. Not all would believe it, but all would have to be told. The angel ended his commissioning ceremony with a final note of encouragement. John must tell all mankind about Christ. He had written the gospel story. Now he would have to complete the revelation. The Lamb of God that came to provide salvation is returning to judge those who refused his provision. That's a good sentence. Listen to that that again. The Lamb of God that came to provide salvation is returning to judge those who refuse his provision. Right now we're living in days of grace. We're living in days of delay. But John reveals to us that on God's calendar, there is a time when God will say, no more delay. Judgment will fall. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you'd speak to us about the truth of what we've seen tonight. That though we live in days of grace, though we live in days of delay, there is a day when that will stop. There is a day when that will end. There is a day when we will face your judgment if we reject your provision. There is a day when we will face your anger if we reject your love. There is a day when we will face your wrath if we reject your mercy. I want to pray for these men and women here before me tonight. And I ask in the name of Jesus if there is anyone here who has or is rejecting you. That they might come under such conviction that they would cry out to a holy God for forgiveness. And that they might repent and turn to you in saving faith. Thank you that we are living in days of grace. We are living in days when the judgment is delayed. So that all can repent and none would perish. In Jesus name I pray. Amen.